I have a quick story to tell you. It's a couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I was on a walk, as I often do, and it was, I don't know, it was probably about one in the afternoon, and um, I'm talking to my daughter, Chase. She's in Hawaii, just had her baby, and um, I'm walking in, in the Diebel family, Joel and Kristen and their kids live in our neighborhood, and they have a really cool hill, and I usually go make my way by their house, and I'm on the phone talking with Chase, and all of a sudden, I smell smoke. I'm like, what's going on here? Who's, who's got a fire going? It's hot out right now. What are we doing? And the closer I got to the Diebel house, the more smoke I smelt and saw. And Joel had just got home from a, a work trip, and I was like, Chase, I got to go. Like, so I could see smoke behind their house. And I walked into the front door without ringing the doorbell, and uh, Joel and Audrey were just sitting there kind of chilling. And I said, guys, there's a fire behind your house. And sure enough, we went out on their deck, and there's a huge grass fire. They, they live, there's train tracks, and then a trail, and then their, their home, and a whole bunch of houses. And I don't know if you read about this in the news, but it, it sparked, this train sparked like five or six fires along the way to where we live out in Farvada. And we thought, man, this, you know, it's scary since what happened last, you know, New Year's. And so Joel and I jumped to the rescue. We did. We really did. Like, what do you do? I, I have it on video. I was like, should we try to put that out? Like, what's going on here? And so his neighbor had jumped the fence, and then we started getting all the neighbor hoses that we could, and there was just this perfect patch right behind their house, and you could see how the fire w- was spreading. And so we were out there holding the hose and putting the fire out. We actually, before the fire department even got there, put out their little patch of fire. And uh, it's kind of weird because I was standing on top of the fence and I was like, Lord, when I jump, help me to not blow out a knee. Help me not to get burnt by this fire and have a little wisdom here. And he did. It was crazy. You know, the, the whole reverse 911 thing happened to our neighborhood and should evacuate, and we didn't. We were dumb. We were going to put out that fire. But my father-in-law is a retired fireman. He was an Aurora fire guy forever, and um, he was really proud of me when Janelle told that story. And he, uh, we went to lunch with them recently, and he, he gave me this little junior firefighter <laughs> sticker. So... Mark, thank you so much. I feel like a real firefighter. Me and Joel, we got no credit. We didn't make the news or anything. We, the guy that pulled out his bobcat to throw some dirt, he got praised. Joel and I didn't get anything, but we're supposed to be humble anyway, right? Yeah, reward in heaven. Let me pray. Father, as we open your word, we do so with humble hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, not what Scott has to say, but what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little boy, probably third or fourth grade, my parents split up for two years. And my dad bought a condo on Lake Arbor when it was a brand new thing, the Lake Arbor deal. And for some reason, he left me home alone for a brief period of time. 
I thought it would be a good idea to get out some matches and some paper and to try to set off the smoke alarm because that seemed like that could be fun, right? What, what could go wrong there? And he comes home and finds out what I did. And I didn't get spanked a whole lot as a kid because I was an angel. But I, this time I got my butt whooped by a belt. And it was old school Texas justice for, for my dad. <laughs> Needless to say, I never played with matches again. I, I learned from his, his warnings there. And you're going to understand why I tell you that story in just a second. We're in the a series. We're in a, a season, really, as a church, where many are reading through the Bible. We started right after Easter, and we're just going from Genesis all the way through, looking for Jesus. And we have a Bible reading plan that we're doing. And on Sundays, we've been preaching through the books of the Bible, or highlights, chronologically. And we're going to get all the way to the New Testament and, and see the fulfillment of all this stuff. How many know when you read the Old Testament, it's like, what is going on here? Well, what, we, what we've seen and where we're at today is we went through, you know, watching Moses and the children of Israel wander in the desert. They were longing for rest. And now they're longing for the promise to be fulfilled because Joshua, Judges, and Ruth are all about, they're in the land, the land's been divvied out, but they're, they're their enemies are still inhabiting, and so they're having all this fighting and stuff going on. Well, crazy thing this week, we had a wedding last weekend, and I usually study on Tuesday, get ready for Sunday. So Tuesdays, I carve out for my study day. And it was now Wednesday, and I thought we were doing the book of Ruth, and I had a message ready for the book of Ruth. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I looked, and I was like, oh, no, Judges. <laughs> What am I going to do here? It's judges. I got nothing. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, I got nothing. What do you want me to say? This is a strange book, strange things happening. And you know what? He immediately he started downloading this message that I'm actually kind of excited to preach and to share, that I felt like my eyes were open to some things that I pray all of us in here will grow from it as well. But Judges is a crazy book. It's a lot of weird things happen in the book of Judges, yet there are so much you can learn and glean from as I was processing this, this book. I'm not obviously going through all the Judges, but it would be kind of more of an overview. But what you see in the book of Judges is man's stupidity and God's grace over and over and over in the book of Judges. kind of sounds like it's applicable for, for all of us in um, Judges 2.16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. When you see the word judges, don't think courtroom. It's, it's not a courtroom judge. This is more of a political governor over a region, maybe even military uh, leader over different parts of, uh, for, for Israel and all the, the 12 tribes. There are two main themes in the book of Judges and two verses that are repeated several times, and that's what we're going to glean from this morning. Judges 3.7, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God, and they served the images of Baal and Asherah poles. Now, you see this theme of idolatry woven throughout the Old Testament and the history of Israel. You remember God said over and over, listen, I'm making a covenant with you. 
love me, walk with me, I'll bless you, I'll protect you. But if you worship the foreign idols, it's not going to go well for you. And Judges is about Israel worshiping idols, falling into the hands of their enemies, calling out for mercy, and God answers their prayer over and over. God never doesn't answer their prayer for, for mercy. And then in Judges 21-25, which is the last verse in the book, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's repeated two other times as well. So as I was thinking about this in these verses, I started seeing this relational pattern of God with Israel in the book of Judges. His, his, this relational pattern that has actually been his relational pattern with humanity going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and then through Israel and even today. It's the pattern of love and free will. God's love in giving us free will to choose to follow him, to, to choose to put into practice how he wants us to live, to choose to walk in faith and trust So there's six words that make up this pattern of love and free will. And the first one is the word promises. God makes promises. His promises are, do things the way I tell you to do them, as he did with Israel, his covenant people. The law and the commandments ordered society, ordered this pagan world. We often, as evangelicals in the West, think the law is just... eh, No, it actually ordered society. It was actually a gift from from God to to the Israelites. And he says over and over, listen, if you do what I tell you to do, you will experience joy. You will experience peace. Which leads me to the next, well, I mean, before I go there, Adam and Eve in the garden. You can eat of all these trees. You can have any of them. But I'm going to reserve this one tree for myself. If you eat of it, you'll die. So there was a promise, and then the next word is warnings. If you, he basically says, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, it's going to go bad for you. It's not going to be good. At the risk of sounding like a terrible parent, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, so Janelle, right, shortly after Janelle and I got married, my stepson Damien and I were home alone. And I think where the girls might have been in their rooms or something. But he's a boy, and um, sometimes you, dads and boys, you do a little, little roughhousing, right? A little, little bro time. And uh, Janelle was on a business trip and for her work. And Damien, he's a great kid. He was a great kid, still is. But he started annoying me, and he was doing it on purpose. And it kept it over and over and over. Been there? So I said, dude, if you do that again, I'm going to take your shoe off and your sock off, and I'm going to shove it in your mouth. (laughs) Don't write me emails. We're good now. But he, uh, he did it. So I had warned him. So I took his shoe off. I took his sock off, and I shoved it in his mouth. (laughs) He was like... So he goes and he gives Janelle a call. And he says, Mom, Pop shoved my sock in my mouth. She said, why? Well, I was annoying him. And he said if I did it again, that he was going to shove my sock in my mouth. And she said, 
did you do it? He said, yes. She said, I'm with him. It's okay. <laughs> he warned you, we're good. You're not, no harm, no blood. That's the next thing is you got promises, you got warnings, and then you have a choice. There's choices that happen. God, he promises life and hope and peace. He warns that if you don't do things his way, and, and when you think of that, don't think of God being the taskmaster. It's free will. It's, the, it's God saying, I love you, and here's how I want you to live. But if you don't, it's not going to go good. If you take charge of your own life, it's not going to go good. How many can relate to that? We all can. So there's a choice. Damien had a choice to, to go ahead and keep annoying or not in that. When in reality, will I trust God? Will I trust that his commands are good? Will I trust that he is good? Or will I be wise in my own eyes? Choices lead to consequences. Consequences can be good if we, you know, when we walk in the way of the Lord, we experience peace and joy and abiding in him. It's not easy. It's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's the life that he, he wants for us. When I don't walk in his ways and, and, and I'm wise in my own eyes, there are consequences. We're going to experience that. And often we talk about God punishing sin. Sin in itself is its own punishment. It's its own prison. Because we experience the consequence of it. It's, it's not God saying, I'm going to get you. It's just the reality of what we experience when we don't do life his way. Sin always holds out a promise. Hey, if you do this, I'll make you happy. I'll bring you joy. But it bites in the end. God makes a promise and says, do things my way, even if it's the hard way. And I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you joy. Here's the thing I would say to all of us. Often people get stuck in the consequence area, the consequence piece of this, and it just cycles. And the beauty of the love of God is like Psalm 51, 17, David says that God will never reject a broken and repented heart. He, he won't ever do that. He will, he, will, he will never reject a broken and contrite heart. So that leads me to the fifth thing in that God gives opportunity to repent. We see this in the book of Judges over and over and over. Promise, warning, choices, consequence, opportunity to repent. They cry out to God. He, he defeats their enemies and gives them, you know, a new, new direction. And that's what repentance really is. Uh, repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. I'm going down the wrong path. I get back on the right path. I'm thinking the wrong way. I begin to think the way of the Lord. That's, that's what repentance really is. And then repentance leads to grace. Grace is always there because God is a God of grace. But to experience his grace is to, is to say, Lord, I, I blew it. Lord, I've been wrong. And I want to live in your power. I want to live your way. So again, Israel had no king and everyone did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That didn't go well. If you've read Judges, you see that that didn't go well. And the truth is, it doesn't go well for us. Now, I'm going to use the word king a lot this morning in the message. Because Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. King equals the one in charge. King is, is the one who's in charge. I want you to think about that as we're processing this. I want to use it metaphorically, so to speak, about our lives, our hearts, 
metaphorically of this verse for Israel for us personally today? How, how, what can we glean from this? Who's in charge? First thing, without a king, I become my own king. I become my own boss, my own lord. I call the shots in my life. If I don't have a king to submit to, then I become my own king. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And again, I've been asking my question, the question of the scripture, how'd that go for them? It did not go well. And I get it. This is kind of a, a sobering message. I'm not trying to... Uh, feel like God is oppressive in any way because he's not. God's just truthful. Do things my way, it'll go good. If you don't, you're, when you, you don't live with me as king, you're going to not enjoy the consequences that happen. Secondly, without a king, I become wise in my own eyes. That's a pattern that we see in, in Scripture that when we're wise in our own eyes, Adam and Eve, like they became wise in their own eyes, and then they disobeyed God. David, when he saw Bathsheba, he knew he shouldn't have taken her, but he was wise in his own eyes. Again, we see this, this pattern over. If I'm not learning from the king then how to live, then I'm learning my own way. That doesn't work out so good. Proverbs 3, 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. To fear the Lord is to be in awe of God. And to believe that he's good, to believe that he knows what's best. Man, I wish so much the first 25 years of my life, I would have understood what the fear of the Lord really was. I wish I would have understood that God actually is really good. And when he says to do something or not to do it, it's because he loves me. He's a perfect father. And a lot of those, that, that, that pattern of love and free will, that's parenting 101, right? You guys, that, that is parenting 101. And God's the perfect parent. Walking wise in my own eyes for the first 25 years of life caused a lot of problems. I look back and I'm just like, ugh. But you do learn from it, and I did learn from consequences. And that's a good thing about consequences, is if you learn from them, then they actually become good things in our life. So I would just say to every young person in here, trust that God is good. Don't. You don't have to go down the path of being wise in your own eyes and experience regret and, and all the things that, that you, do. you don't have to do that. The best testimony is the testimony that seems kind of boring, in my opinion. I wish I had a boring testimony. But in those of you that are there, guard your heart, guard your innocence as long as you can. Thirdly, without a king, I'm lost and on a destructive path. That's, that's the book of Judges. We have no king. Everyone's doing right in their own eyes. Destruction, destruction after destruction. In uh, the, the New Testament being translated from Greek to English, the Greek word for the word lost is the same word for destruction or perishing. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, or shall not be destroyed, but have everlasting life. Then you look at Jesus' parables about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, the lost son. The word for lost is that same word for perish or being destroyed. 
So when we walk wise in our own eyes without a king, I'm on this path to destruction. There's a way, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. I put it this way. There's a way that seemed right to Israel, but in, in the end it led to death. There's a way that seemed right to Scott, to us, but if it's not the way of the king, then it's, way, it's the way of death. When you walk the path of Jesus, though, here's the good news. When you walk the path of Jesus, you get off the destructive path. You get on. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness. Will never walk in darkness. Number four, without a king, I have no accountability. They had no king. They did what was right in their own eyes. Walking with Jesus gives us an accountability above just people. Knowing that I'm accountable to Jesus, you know, man, it, 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 it's a game changer for how you treat people, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your kids, how you treat your parents, how you treat your friends, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat your coworkers. There's a higher accountability than just to one another. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, he's not saying that we're saved by works or anything like that. There is a reality that there's coming a, a, a day, you know, we're saved by our faith in Jesus Christ, but God wants to reward us for how we live in this life, for our faithfulness, for forgiving others when we've been wronged, for for. for growing in Christ for fighting sin. There's a reward that's coming in the life to come. Number five, without a king, I can easily turn on others. That's exactly what happens in Judges 20. All of a sudden, there's a civil war within the the 12 tribes of Israel. They turn on one another, kill one another. It's crazy. They had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So crazy to me that just shortly after they go into the land, all of a sudden they're in fighting and killing one another. It's chaos without a king. It's chaos in our hearts without King Jesus. It's chaos in our relationships. It's chaos in our life without a king. And yet, here's the crazy thing. It was chaos with a king when it came to Israel. With the king, Israel still failed. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20 talks about how God promised that there would be a king in Israel one day and gives even the stipulations for the king uh, himself that the, that the king was not, would be humble and not be uh, greedy and, and, and build up a, a kingdom of stuff but would be a benevolent king. That was the, the, the credentials for the king. Well, look at the life of Solomon. I mean, he immediately failed as king, and he built all this wealth and stuff that he wasn't supposed to do, and we know the kingdom began to crumble from Solomon's compromise of what he had been given through his dad, David. God promised a king, and they had some good ones. If you've been reading through, through the, the Old Testament with us, 
they had some good kings, right? There, there were, David was, had great moments. There were some, some good kings, but most of it was bad. Most of it was just their flaws and their failures that ultimately led to Israel getting driven out of the land that they were promised. And that's such a, you know, hyperlink back to Adam and Eve having the garden, having the promised land, so to speak, and they chose to be wise in their own eyes and they were driven from the garden. But here's the deal. I'm about to give you some good news. (laughs) All these kings were a precursor to the real king. All those kings failed to do what our real king has done for us. The one who would walk uprightly before God, who would obey his commands, who would submit himself unto God and not fail as Israel failed and not fail as I've failed or any of us have. Which leads me to my seventh point. Seven is the number of completion or perfection. With the real king, I have everlasting hope. That's the good news. All this living life on my own without submitting to the king, and we can push that aside and say, no, I'm with him. I am with the true king. Here's, (laughs) this gets me. Our king defeated our enemies of sin by nailing it to the cross. He defeated death by rising from the dead, and he defeated the evil one and stripped him of his authority. You know how he did it? He didn't lift a finger to defeat our enemies. He didn't defeat our enemies with a sword or a gun or a tank or a bomb or any of that. He surrendered himself. He submitted himself to the anger of mankind. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. He saved others, let him save himself. He just took all that when he was on the cross. All the while, he was defeating those enemies on our behalf as we were angry with God on the cross. He did that for us. I'm guilty of saying crucify. Every one of us are. Even though we weren't there, I've lived my life in a way to say crucify him at times. But he was surrendered himself and submitted himself to death so that we could have hope. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His throne was a cross. His crown was a crown of thorns at the brutality of man. We often think God put Jesus you know, on the cross, and it obviously was the plan of God ultimately. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But you never see Jesus that he, when he, over 20 times in the gospel, gospels, he says, tells his disciples, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die at the hands of sinful men. Not at the hands of my father, but at the hands of sinful men. But I'm going to rise on the third day in victory to defeat your enemies. Our humble king, he's the remedy to this all. He's the remedy to it all. He's the grace of God revealed. God took our potential for self-destruction so serious that he sent Jesus. 
And he submitted himself to our self-destruction to give us new life. He did a complete reversal. Jesus destroyed our self-destruction. And we walk with him as king and don't do what's right in our own eyes, but do what's right in our king's eyes and what he said to do. And we, we, we put into practice what he says to do. Then we're living life. He said, I've come to give life and life abundantly. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. The thief comes and steal and destroy when we buy into his lies that that I'm actually in charge of my life. We're going to take communion this morning. And as we do, let's reflect on what Jesus did. It's a brutal scene at the cross. There's no way to clean that up. The anger of man towards God and, and the Messiah. Jesus came first to Israel and they, they rejected him. And yet, as you read on in the book of Acts and the disciples began to discover, wait, this was the plan of God fulfilled. We were blind to this. And then they began to preach the good news not only to the Jews, but it went and spread to the rest of the world. Still today, we're part of the process of spreading the good news. The good news, the gospel, is our enemies have been defeated. Sin was defeated. Death was defeated. The evil one was defeated. That is good news. And it's our job to live in that good news and to keep spreading that good news. It's not our job to judge and condemn or anything. Tell people the good news. You can be free. You can walk in, in abundant life because of, because of the real king. Don't live wise in your own eyes. Walk with Jesus. So let's stand. And I want you to go and grab the communion elements as we sing. And then come back to your seat and we'll take it together as one big family. Can't see you now. 
take communion, when you take the bread and the cup, it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust. It's an act of agreement. Jesus, I believe and agree with you that you're the Savior of all and that you saved me by what you did, by letting your body be broken and your blood spilled on the cross. And it's an act of grace by God to remind us of who we are. I would say this morning, as you take communion, tell the Lord by taking communion, I don't want to do what's right in my own eyes. I don't want to be my own boss. I don't want to be my own Lord. You're the Lord, and I want to walk with you humble king you know what's best I pray that your prayer this morning as you take the bread and the cup we're going to follow the all wise one 
On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a bread and he broke it and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it. He told his disciples, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, eat in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, Jesus lifted a cup of wine and he blessed it. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant. All the bloodshed that you read in the Old Testament and animal sacrifices, this was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. It was complete. It was finished. It's been finished for you and I. You need do nothing but follow. Believe and follow. Believe and follow. If you fall off the path, get back on. He says, come, get up. I'll dust you off. Let's do it in remembrance of him. Let's sing again with this fresh awareness of his presence that we have right now. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now. Stick your hands out in front in a way of posture of receiving. God, we come before you with empty hands, open hands, receiving life and hope through the Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through your great love, Father. Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to be a a sacrifice for us to have eternal life and an eternal hope. We receive that this morning. We honor you, Jesus. We honor your kingship. Thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't have to guess. God, may you bless us this morning with a sense of deeper awareness of and a deeper experience of your grace in our life as we follow you, Lord. We thank you that, that it, this is a life of faith and grace over and over every day. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, 
and give you his peace this day and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.